Well, we are looking at the book of Titus. And as we mentioned in the book of Acts, although half of the book of Acts is focusing on Peter's ministry and then the majority really of the the book um, uh, of Acts is focusing on Paul's ministry, even though Titus was a huge part of his ministry, he wasn't mentioned uh, in the book of Acts. But yet he was one of his sons in the faith and one of the three pastoral epistles. So we can almost be thankful that the churches that Timothy and Titus pastored were going through a hard time because uh, it's where we get our information is because they were struggling as pastors and they were struggling as churches. And it, Paul said, well, here's what you need to know, uh, that things would be in order. And of course, uh, many uh, similarities between Titus and First and Second Timothy, but yet they, they show again the common wisdom, the common spirit of Christ and how the church is to be run. And we looked at last week, verse two and three, the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifest his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. And then we see, and now in verse 4 here tonight, to Titus. Titus was a Gentile convert. Timothy, as you remember, was his, his mother was Jewish, but his dad was Gentile. And that right away in Acts 16, he has Timothy circumcised because Paul's ministry, when he went into a city, was first to preach to the Jews and secondly, to the Gentiles. He tells us that in Acts chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, as well as numerous other places. But So with Timothy, to be a part of that ministry, he had to be, in essence, a circumcised Jew. Now, to this day, the Jews, if you wanted to become a Jewish, an Israeli citizen, what they would look at is your mother and your grandmother, whether they're Jewish. And if they are, then you're a Jew. If your dad was a Jew, it doesn't matter. They look at your mother and your grandmother. And as we know of Timothy, his mother and grandmother indeed were Jewish. So he would have been accepted in the culture of that day as a Jew. Uh, of course, it's, it's interesting because if you use that formula, then King David <laughs> wasn't a Jew because his great-grandmother was Ruth the Moabitess. But uh, either way, that's the way he recognized it. Uh, even to this day. So uh, Timothy had a door to minister to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles. But with Titus, not so. Gentile, Titus was a straight Gentile pastor, not accepted in the Jewish culture whatsoever. But yet the time we see Paul's missionaries' journeys going uh, into the second and third missionary journey, he began to go where the gospel had never been preached before and was going more and more and more into straight Gentile areas. And so Titus, Timothy, or Paul's ministry wouldn't be limited by whether they were a Jew or not. And so most believe, although it's again not documented in the book of Acts, that somewhere along Paul's second missionary journey is where he bumped in to Titus. Now, in the book of Corinthians... We happen to have um, Titus mentioned nine times. So look, if you would, to 2 Corinthians and prepare to underline the word Titus there, if you would. 
We start off in 2 Corinthians 2.13, and we learn a lot about Titus in 2 Corinthians, and we'll look at a couple other passages in Galatians and, and 2 Timothy, but in 2 Corinthians, we learn much about Titus. In verse chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus. Notice here, he calls him my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. So we see that, that Paul was waiting for Titus to fig, finish up a ministry, what, what he was doing. We're going to discover as we get down to chapter 8, he had taken the collection. The, Israel had hit a famine. Uh, it was prophesied by Agapus the prophet in, in Acts 11. And so Paul went to all the Gentile churches and gathered an offering to help their Jewish brethren back in Jerusalem. And Titus was one of the guys that was to take um, this finances from all the churches, but he'd be one of the many representatives to show the Gentiles love for the Jews, for the Christian Jews there in Jerusalem. And so he was waiting for his return, as we'll discover down in chapter 8. But we notice here he calls him my brethren. He, he doesn't want to continue his ministry until Titus is with him. And then we see in chapter 7, verse 6, Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So again, Titus was an amazing man of God and a, an amazing character. And here is, is Paul the Apostle, this giant in the faith. And he says, Titus is somebody that ministers to me. And he ministers to all the other apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors and Luke the doctor and all the guys that were with him. He's my brother. He's a great comfort to us. And uh, it was God, just a, a gift from God when he showed up to, to be able to bless us with comfort. And then we see in chapter 7, verse 13, all these in 2 Corinthians, chapter 7, verse 13, Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. We rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because the spirit has been refreshed by you all. So now he speaks of Titus' experience at, at, at Corinth. And he says that we have been comforted and that Titus was able to minister to you and bring a, a, a deep comfort in your life, a joy in your life. Through the ministry of Titus, there was a comfort, there was a joy, there was a refreshing of the Spirit uh, to you and then also to us through the ministry of Titus. And then in verse 14 there of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. So Titus did not know personally the Corinthian church. So again, this gives the timing of when we believe that uh, Paul hooked up with Titus. It would be after the, the ministry that he had to the Corinthian church. And so he said, even though you didn't know him personally, but you received him as indeed a man of God that was from us. And when he came to you, um, we boasted greatly of what you guys were going to do. Uh, in particular, we're going to find in chapter 8, it was reference to the gift that they were going to give to 
uh, the offering they were going to give to help out the, the Jewish church. But then he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 6, So we urge Titus that as he had begun, he would also complete this grace in you as well. If you read the first five verses of chapter 8, he said that when he came to you guys, you had not prepared your offering as we had asked you to do it in advance. So when the group of guys came to collect the offering to take to Jerusalem, they wouldn't be embarrassed by you saying, oh, well, we'll collect one uh, this Sunday when we get together. But they would have it done in advance just so it wouldn't be an uncomfortable situation, but they didn't. And as we read in chapter 9 that that they had boasted about helping out the Jewish church, but when push came to shove, where the rubber meet the road, they weren't going to give. And Paul says now, hey, I'm sending Titus to you guys. And, and Titus basically administered to this Gentile church, but other Gentile churches, and helped them to be matured in the area of giving. And uh, Paul says in the first five verses of, of 2 Corinthians 8, that they gave, not as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then they gave of their offering. And so in, in Titus, he was able to help them to actually mature in the Lord and grow in the Lord. And that they had come to the place to truly surrender their lives to God in a way they had never surrendered their lives before. And if you've been a Christian for a time, you know exactly what that means. I mean, as Christians, we're constantly learning to sacrifice ourselves and sanctify ourselves and give ourselves deeper and deeper to the Lord and obedience in many different areas. In this particular area, although they had matured, he goes on in 2 Corinthians 8 to say, in many other areas, this is one area that they hadn't grown in the, the gift of giving. And so Titus was able to complete this grace. That is the grace of being able to give joyfully. And then in 2 Corinthians 8.16, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. So again, we see a, a real pastoral spirit in Titus that he didn't just simply come and say hi and bye, that he, after that, he had a great desire and longing for them to continue to, to grow deeper in the Lord. And 2 Corinthians 8.23, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is, number one, my partner. Now, you had talked to him earlier about being his brother, and now he says he's my partner. And then notice here, a fellow worker. So in each of the three descriptions so far in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Titus is equal to me. You guys are, you know, saying, oh, the great apostle Paul. And I'm telling you that the maturity, the anointing, the, the, the ministry of Titus is as equally as powerful as the ministry that God has given to me. And that I am confident that he, the partnership, the, the fellow worker in Christ, that you're going to have the same degree of quality and spirit uh, in the ministry uh, as you would have if I were there. And so he says, he's my partner, my fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they're messengers of the churches of the glory of Christ. So these guys are called by God. They're messengers to encourage the churches as well as lead uh, cities to the Lord that had never heard the gospel. They have a twofold ministry there. And then we, next time we see Titus' name is in 2 Corinthians twelve eighteen. I urged Titus and sent our brother with him 
Did Titus take an advantage of you? Did we walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? So again, he's uh, at the end of 2 Corinthians. If you know the book, he's having to rebuke the church because they were putting Paul down in his ministry. And, and there's Paul saying, hey, I care for you guys. I've tried to come several times to you, but for whatever reason, I haven't been able to make it. And they're getting offended at Paul. And Paul is, is trying to help them say, I would have been there if I could, but Titus coming to you, it's of the same spirit, the same quality. And then in Galatians 2, we see in the verses 1 through 3, again mentioned about Titus. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And again, if you know the book of Acts, there was a rumor going around that Paul had taken uh, Gentiles into the temple, which wasn't true. And uh, so in verse 2, And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or run in vain. Yet not even Titus, there it is again, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. If you know Acts chapter 15, then you know the, the situation that Paul is talking about in Galatians 2. And this is where Paul was going to preach the gospel where it had never been preached before, but he had no idea that on his hills were a group of ex-Pharisees who had claimed to become Christians, but they were right behind him saying, we know Paul preached the gospel, but he sent us along behind to tell you to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. Well, finally, they had caught up to Paul, and Paul said, what in the world are you guys doing? And they said, no, we're absolutely right, and the apostles are with us, and Paul says, we're backtracking right now. I'm gonna tell all these churches, you guys are wrong, and we're gonna go back to Jerusalem. So Paul grabbed all these Judaizers up by the ear and dragged them back to Jerusalem with him, and they had uh, a big council meeting there with the apostles that were still in Jerusalem, as well as the other Christian leaders, and Paul made it very clear and, and convinced them all that uh, they did not have to keep the law of Moses, but simply to have faith in the work of Christ. And Titus was there on this very, very monumental council. And in 2 Timothy, the final time outside of the, the book of Titus that we see him mentioned, 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, and Titus for Dalmatia. And uh, if we have the map to pop up there, and um, the area of Dalmatia, and people ask the question, is that where the Dalmatian dogs come from? They don't know, possibly. But uh, it's more of the, the spots of all the different isle, islands that, that make up that, that name. And uh, where are we at here on this map? This isn't the one I thought we were going to have. Okay, there's the island of Crete. And <laughs> I sent another map. Let's see, this is Turkey. Um, I am completely lost here. But is this, the, is this the Adriatic Sea right here? Does anybody know? So if I'm not incorrect, this is Croatia 
along here, which is the area of Dalmatia. Does anybody know? Okay. I, see, I made it the whole year without being wrong. I knew that was the case. So this today is Croatia. And this is along the, the border here, and this is the area of Dalmatia. And if it had a more modern map, which I thought we popped up here, but we didn't, uh, we would see the, the city of Split, which is the ancient capital um, there. And we've uh, been a few times from Hungary down to Croatia and had our leadership conference along here. It's a, it's a beautiful place. But anyway, I've been to Split in the area of Dalmatia, and that's the farthest northern part that Paul ever went to preach the gospel. Try to get a more modern map for you next time and, and find that. Well, anyway, let's pretend we all learned something, and uh, we'll go on. So Titus was sent by Paul on over to Dalmatia, eventually to the island of Crete. And notice here again, he calls him the true son in our common faith. In Philemon 1.10, he calls Onesimus my child, whom I begotten in my imprisonment. Uh, Onesimus was a runaway slave in the, from the Roman Empire, and Paul had um, led him to Christ while he was in prison. And then also in 1 Timothy 1.2, he calls Timothy my true child in the faith. But here um, of Titus, he calls him my true son. Timothy, my true child. Onesimus, my true child, or my child, who I've begotten in my imprisonment. But here he calls Titus of a special um, title, if you would, a true son in our common faith. So Titus was, again, these, these guys that, that were lost, and Paul led them to Christ. And then he had a hand in maturing them in the Lord. And I, I hope all of you, have had the joy of leading people to Christ. And if you haven't, I I would so encourage you to just start telling people about Jesus. You you would be amazed how many people are just crying out for salvation. I can't tell you how many people I've led to Christ and almost every time the story goes, man, you have no idea. I've just been crying out for God and, and now here you are, you know, and uh, in many cases, I've had people fighting with me. And then at the end of the fight, they're like, I need this so bad. I need Christ. And uh, just think about yourself for a minute. Before you became a Christian, think about how empty and, and lost and, and how desperate things became without Christ. 99% of the people came to Christ when they, again, where often the Lord has to humble us and put us flat on our back before we'll look up. But aren't you glad somebody stepped out of their comfort zone and said, you're a sinner and you need to be forgiven of your sin and you need to ask Jesus to come in to your life and be the Lord of your life. And uh, there's just a powerful thing when you see people come to Christ and then discipled in Christ and grow in Christ. And, and then 10 years later, they're you know, a leader in the church or they're um, a person that has led many other Christ and you've had a hand in that. I, can't, I can tell you, I've had four kids and there's a great joy in that. But leading people into Christ, um, it, it's truly an amazing joy. And there is amazing, I don't know, just an amazing link in the spirit to spirit uh, because God used you and you had a hand in bringing them into Christ. 
And uh, so Paul here has had these guys. He led them to Christ. Then he took them on the road uh, ministering. And, and, uh, and then he, again, he says here that it is a common faith. You know, we, we often quickly read through these words, but this is so profound. Because Paul is saying that the, the testimony of Christ, the things, the doctrines we believe about Christ are not some secret thing, or they're not some isolated thing that I know about. This is common knowledge to all people who have become Christians. And it's, it's an awesome thing. You know, when I uh, just got back from Hungary and, and guys that I had a hand in coming to Christ at 14, 15 years old, and now they're 30 years old, 35 years old, they have their own family, their kids, and to hear them preach... And, and to hear them give the insights of what God's given them out of the word, I'm just like going, man, that is so rich. It's so powerful. It's, it's uh, many ways things that God have been speaking to me over the last year or two. And, and here on the other side of the world, God is speaking the same thing into their hearts and their minds. And, and to, to, real, to realize that, that we have the same spirit living in us. No matter what language you speak, no matter what culture you, you're a part of, Jesus is the Lord. <laughs> Whether they're in China or the Philippines or India or Europe or Latin America, wherever they're at, it's, it's the same Lord. And it's the same gospel and it's the same teaching. And it's, it's just the same spirit. And then when a cult does come along, it's just so clear. It's like they're not of the same spirit. It's not the same teaching. It's not the common faith that we're familiar with. It's a different faith. It's a different teaching. It's a different Jesus. But here he's saying that um, Titus, this true son of the faith, has the same Christianity that all the world has around the world. The same knowledge of Jesus, the same relationship with Jesus. And uh, until you've been to another culture, another country, and have met somebody, you just met him, you met him for 10 minutes, and you just fall in love with that person. And you're just like, man, we're just two peas in the pod. I, I don't know how to talk to you without a translator, but what the work God has done in your heart is the same work he's done in my heart. The same things that God's been showing you in the word is the same thing God on the other side of the planet has been showing me in the word. And, and then just to share the things that God's been speaking. It just, it's truly a, a powerful thing to realize that not only location on the planet, but throughout the centuries, it's the same common faith. And then Paul gives, as in all his letters, an important phrase that he must not leave out. Grace, and here he adds in the pastoral epistles, mercy and peace. Only in the pastoral epistles does Paul add this in his letter, although John adds it in his letters. Um, here we see that grace and peace is typically what Paul says, but to those in, who are pastors, he adds the word mercy. And... Uh, Again, we, we can't come to know the peace of God until we know the grace of God. The, the peace of God is the word 
in the Hebrew, shalom. And it doesn't just mean peace, as in no war or an emotional feeling. It's, it's the word shalom. And if you look it up, you'll see that it means that your life would be completed. You know, when we come to Christ, we, we have some serious damages, typically. We have some definite heartaches, and we've been scarred by man, by the world, by difficulties. And uh, we're beat up and we're bruised. And sometimes we're emotionally damaged and it, it, in this lifetime we'll never completely be healed. But often the, the damages that's happened to us, sometimes the way we've been raised by our parents, sometimes it's by siblings, sometimes it's by just people in the world that have hurt us repeatedly. We find it affecting all the other relationships and we find it damaging to, to try to really open up or to grow close to other people. And uh, it's, it's a hard, hard thing. But we find that in Christ, when we come to have a personal relationship with Jesus, that we do have that wholeness, that healing. It's interesting that David, in his Psalms, he'll say, and Lord, let my integrity and preserve me. Now, the word integrity is simply the word integer. Remember in math, you have fractions and you have integers. An integer is a whole number. And it's interesting that that David, even though, like you can read in Psalms 25, he's saying, man, I've done wrong, I've sinned, I'm paying the consequences of my sin. And then he comes to the end of Psalm 25 and he says, Lord, but let integrity preserve me. And it's like, what? And what is he saying? That even though this world is punching me and I'm getting wounded and scarred by my own decisions and other people's decisions and my foolishness and other people's foolishness, yet I am whole in you. Why? Because I have a complete open and honest relationship with you. And that's where God wants us to come, is to come boldly into that throne of grace, receive grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Why? That we have his healing, his completeness, his totality in our life. And again, as we walk as Christians, and we often just forget how rich we are, how good things are, how much peace we really have. I remember years back when I used to go to the prison a lot and minister there. And I would have guys, and I was in my mid-twenties at the time, and, and I had to have guys come up to me and say, man, I, I wish I could be a man like you. I'm looking at these guys. I couldn't even shave hardly at that time. I was shaving once a year, you know. And uh, I'm like going, you know, here this guy is, you know, this big, giant, burly you know, 45-year-old guy and working out with weights all day and, you know, he's looking at me going, man, you're, you're a man. And I'm like, I don't feel like a man, especially when I'm around you guys, <laughs> you know. What, what is it? And on more than one occasion, I had guys mention that, going, there's just something that's, it's whole about you, Brian. Heal. It's healing. Being around, I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't see it. 
I don't get it. I don't understand it. But as I grew in time, I realized, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just so often we've been in Christ so long, we forget how broken the world really is around us and how difficult just every day is for them because they're not in Christ. And um, I, I know for me, I, I'm a Christian because I would self-destruct without Christ. I would ruin every relationship. I'd destroy myself. You know, people say, oh, Christianity is a crutch. It's a wheelchair. It's, it's you know, it's far more. I mean, I, I totally admit my life is 100% leaning on Christ. And without him, I would be nothing, could be nothing. And there is just an amazing peace that God gives when you realize I need to give all to Christ and lean all in Christ. And that's grace. Grace is God's doing. It's his power, his strength, his love, his righteousness, his sanctification, his goodness, his cross, his death, his resurrection. And what we do is when we come to Christ, all that he is, he gives to us. In John 1, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. John 1, 14. Of his fullness, we've all received Grace upon grace. And it takes faith to believe in that grace. So do I have righteousness of my own? No, I don't. But he who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become his righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 1, he became for us the righteousness, the sanctification, the redemption, the wisdom that he who boasts, let him boast in Christ. And so as Christians, we just keep coming to that throne of grace, Hebrews 4 mentions, in our time of need. And he gives us grace and mercy to help us. And I don't know about you, but my time of need is every second of every day, 24 hours a day. And as Christians, we we don't ever graduate from this. You know, people somehow think that, you know, it's like in in, in martial arts, you know, you used to be a, a white belt and you're trying to get to the black belt, you know. And once I get that white belt, you know, I can chuck it because now I got my orange belt or my yellow belt or blue, you know. And somehow I'm going to graduate in Christianity and one day I'll be a black belt Christian and I can throw all the other, you know, there is no belts. <laughs> we come to Christ as just this needy, sinful human And we never leave there. Christ, at the moment we say, be the Lord of my life, he fills us with the Spirit, he strengthens us, he empowers us, we live for him, and then every day after that. And when people think that they've graduated from that, that's scary. Often when I go to speak at pastor's conferences, missionaries' conferences, I tell them that, guys, you don't ever graduate. 
A pastor is just a simple Christian and God simply puts you in a position of authority and leadership for his own reasons. I think because he took the weakest of all Christians and said, make him the pastor, for sure they'll go to church. If they're the pastor, they'll make it. <laughs> they gotta preach. But again, to try to think that I've been a Christian 10 years or 20 years and you know, I, I've heard the sermons and I've read this, the Bible stories and I've taught Sunday school for 10 years or 20 years and I, I've done it, you know, and I can retire now as a Christian or I can kick back and just sort of coast. There is no coasting. We're swimming upstream, fighting the world, fighting our flesh, fighting the devil. We're daily coming to the throne of grace to, be, to receive his righteousness, his love, his power, his forgiveness, his purity, his goodness, his strength every day. And we just stay right there. Now, what happens is God makes us more and more fruitful. He keeps pruning us and we bear more and more fruit. But we never mature out of being just a simple, ordinary, everyday Christian. And it's so important that we learn that. Because when people start falling apart, it's because they're not daily at that throne of grace. When you don't have the peace in your life anymore, just connect the dots. I guarantee it. There's a lack of peace because there's a lack of purity. There's a lack of peace because there's a lack of forgiveness. There's a lack of peace because God's no longer the first of your marriage, your finances, at work, in the home, wherever it is. Christ has been knocked out of the first place and you've made yourself God or money God or your work God or your hobbies God and you're, you, you're lacking in the peace because you're no longer looking to Christ as you once did. And the neat thing about Christianity is God doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. There's no probation. There's no go to the corner for 20 minutes and then talk to me. If we'll just, at the moment we realize I'm not walking in grace, I'm not walking as the Lord would have me to walk in his power, all we do is confess our sins. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and we keep moving on. Little children, he says in 1 John 2, I write these things that you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is a propitiation not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. We're gonna reap what we sow. So we need to say to one another daily, don't sin. You're gonna reap what you sow. And that's brutal. I'll tell you what, life is a harsh place. A lot less of time, the bad decisions, you can't retract them. The kids grow up too fast. Life goes by too fast. It's, life is brutal. And you make bad decisions, even one, it can, it'll come back to haunt you. You sow to the wind and you reap the whirlwind. So God forgives you, but he won't be mocked. You're gonna reap what you've sown. Now that can be good too. Today you're in the word and seeking the Lord. You're going to reap what you've sown. Well, what do you mean? You're going to receive, receive the blessings of seeking him. As we meditate in his word, we're strong, he says, Psalms 1. Like a tree planted by the rivers of water, we bear fruit in our season, our leaf doesn't wither, and whatever we do prospers. And so again, as, as Christians, we need to come to learn. We receive Christ by grace. 
By grace, you've been saved. By faith in that grace, you've been saved. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And then how do we now live? Colossians 1. As you've received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Well, how did you receive Christ? I just cried out for mercy. I cried out for his grace. He received me to himself. That's how you survive the second day after becoming a Christian. And the third day. And 20 years later, that's how you continue to live in the peace of God. It's just by coming to have a relationship with him. To look at him and just grow in the, in the realization how much he loves you. How much he cares for you. How much power and strength there is. How he desires to answer prayer. We receive not because we ask not. There's so many things the Lord wants to enrich us in and wisdom and knowledge of him. But it'll only happen as we spend time with him in the word and meditating on the word. And so once you learn to come and receive the grace of God for salvation and then to live every day. Man, I'm really having a hard time with my marriage. Just go to get grace. Go and sit at the Lord's feet. He'll give you wisdom and insight words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecy. Man, I I just don't know what to do with my kids. James 1 says, don't think that God is gonna be particular about who he gives wisdom to. He'll give to anybody who asks of him. Go to him right now. But but I've been sort of struggling with some areas of my life. That's the neat thing about grace. Just confess that to God. God, I've been struggling. God, I've been blowing it in some areas. God, I've been, I know better. Well, what's gonna help you to get out of that rut? It's grace. Here I am, but by the grace of God. Every one of us, we've, we're where we're at by God's grace. And God is willing to pour out more grace upon you. Grace upon grace of his fullness he wants you to receive. Grace Upon grace. What's interesting about that saying is grace is all you need and more. So you really can't have grace upon grace. Grace in and of itself is all you need and more. But then he says, and then on top of that, I want to give you all you need and more again. So we see the, 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 the generosity of God. And then, of course, the mercy. Often as we've been a Christian for a time, we do expect more of ourselves, And I think that's fine, but Paul says in Romans 7, and here he was, this mature apostle, and he came to the realization, in my flesh no good thing dwells. My body is a body of death. Oh, wretched man that I am. When we got saved, our spirit became born again, not our body. <laughs> okay? Our body is still sinful. Our body is still wanting to please the devil and the world and and to live after its own selfish wants and desires. So Paul said, in me, the willingness is present. But how to perform that which I will, I know not. The things I do, I don't want to do. Things I do want to do, I don't do. Oh, it will save me from this body of death. Thanks be through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's how he ends Romans 7. And then Romans 8 begins... There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. 
And so as Christians, we need to learn to come and receive grace. As old Christians, we need to also realize that even though we may have an expectation of conquering our flesh, it's the same battle. It never gets different. We fought our flesh before we are Christians. We're fighting our flesh after we become Christians to the day we die. The same lust. I often, people ask me this question. Man, I bet, you know, once you're a Christian 20 years, does that flesh that craves whatever it is, alcohol or drugs or some kind of immorality, does it eventually get the message I'm living for Christ and it quits trying to want what it's not supposed to want? And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> that old wretched man, that old sinful nature, if you, if you don't fight it, Ephesians says it grows corrupt. <laughs> so whatever that area is that you don't keep in check, it's gonna keep growing. But if you put it to death, you put to death the old man, put on the new man, it won't grow at least. It'll still have the same desire it did 20 years ago and you'll still be fighting it 20 years from now, but it at least won't come to the place where it's growing where it's impossible to keep it in check. And that's why, again, you got the term dirty old men or you know, greedy old miser or the old Scrooge or whatever. It's these guys that have not kept their greed or their lust in check. And now as they grow older, it's getting bigger than them. It's just swallowing them up. And there's no way they can control it uh, in their older age. And I'll tell you what, I, I won't even explain the things I've seen, but it's true. As bad as your flesh is today, it can get worse. And so, as Christians, we need to come and get grace and to receive mercy in particular. What are we looking for? That our flesh wouldn't lust anymore? Not going to happen. What are we looking for? You've got weak Christians and you've got strong Christians. You want to be a strong Christian. (laughs) A weak Christian is going to get beat up by the world, is going to get beat up by the devil, is going to get beat up by your own flesh. But if you're strong in the word, you're, you're meditating in the word, you're praying without ceasing, you're, you're living in Christ, then the, the spirit will f- win over the flesh, as Galatians 5 says, for that day. But tomorrow's a whole nother day. Don't, don't think the victory of yesterday is gonna spill over in today. It's not. You got a new battle today, but it's worth it, guys. And that's, that's the point. Being a strong Christian, it's worth it. As much as the battle is hard, it's worth it. What are we looking for? To be a strong Christian, not a weak Christian. What are we looking for? To bear more fruit, not less fruit. That, these are the things that Christ has promised us. He didn't promise us that once you get past the 10-year mark as a Christian, your flesh will quit having the sinful desires that it once had. But it does say that God will continue to prune us, will bear more fruit, will be more filled with the Spirit, that we will be able to be a strong Christian and to, and to be able to walk in obedience. Even though the flesh is screaming, it's the prison door shut and we've kept it in check. Amen? And so God wants to give us that grace. He wants us to know that his mercies are new every morning. Proverbs twenty four sixteen is a great one you guys need to know. The righteous man falls, how many times? Seven times, but he also rises, how many times? Seven. 
seven times. Interesting, it says, the righteous man, shouldn't it say, never falls? The righteous man never stumbles? Is that what it says? Even though he fell seven times, he's still called a righteous man. But the righteous man knows the grace. He knows the mercy. Satan comes in and lies and says, there's no hope for you. You're a wicked, horrible person. Christ should have never saved you. You never were ever saved to begin with. You know, all those guys at church are pure and you're the only, uh, you know, oddball in the bunch. Um, Shut your mouth, don't sing, don't go to church. You know, he's coming with all his condemnation and all his lies. But the righteous man just says, get behind me, Satan. Lamentations 3, God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2, even when we're not faithful, what? He remains faithful because he can't deny himself. Romans 5, where our sin abounds, what? His grace abounds even more. And the righteous man falls seven times. Seven is the number of completion. The world was created in seven days. If you know music, there's seven notes in a scale. The eighth note repeats, but at the eight is a number of new beginnings. And so seven is, is saying, even though man completely falls and continues to fall. Interesting, in, in Romans chapter three, it says there that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, past tense, but then fall short of the glory of God is in the present tense, which infers a continuous sense. We've all fallen short and we continue. We've all sinned and we all continue to fall short of the glory of God. Until we're out of this body and in our new body present with the Lord, it's, it's a reality we all deal with. And again, I'm not making light of sin, okay? I mean, there's enough pain and suffering already without adding to it with foolishness and sin. I'm not trying to give anybody a license here tonight. You will reap what you've sown. And I tell my kids all the time and I tell the young people I speak, life can be real good or real bad. It can be really hard or you can make it really, really hard with your sin. Either way, it's gonna be hard. It's already hard enough. Life's hard. And you're gonna find out it's not fair you're going to find it stacks against you and you're going to find it's continually hard. Don't make it unbelievably hard by foolishness, by sin. Because it's already hard enough without making it hard in a way that you don't survive. And that's sin. So I'm not making light of sin, but I am trying to focus on the scripture here tonight which says if you have sinned, Come to know grace of God in a deeper way. Come to know the mercies of God and his faithfulness to you and leave here tonight with his peace. We're gonna go to heaven not because we earned it. We're gonna go to heaven because God gave it to us as a gift. Nobody's gonna be up in heaven going, boy, all those years of working hard to be a righteous man really paid off. I'm glad I'm here in heaven. There's nobody gonna be in heaven boasting like that. We're all going to be in heaven, especially as we're standing in the presence of one who is pure and perfect and holy. And it's, we're going to understand how 
impure and unholy we really were and believe we're not gonna boast in our righteousness, but we're gonna be so thankful for his. And that's as Christians we need to come to realize. Well, the final thought here. So to Titus, my uh, true son in the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace. And then notice from where it comes from. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. It comes from the Father and from the Son. In John 17, 3. This is eternal life. That they may know you, God the Father, and the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, to know you, God the Father, and equally, in the same breath, to know the Son whom you've sent. Now people might ask, well, where is the Holy Spirit? He's writing this. <laughs> in First Peter one twenty one, it says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is present. He's the one writing this of the Son and of the Father. Remember in the triunity of God, God the Father is the first person of the Trinity. God the Son is the second person of the Trinity. God the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. If you look at the scripture, the Son glorifies the Father. He says, I only speak that which I've received from the Father. I only do that which I've received from the Father. Jesus says, when you see my good works, you'll glorify my Father who's in heaven. The second person of the Trinity is pointing to the first person of the Trinity. Then what does Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit will come and take that which is mine and give it to you. He will not speak of his own accord. All that he speaks, he will have received from me that the Father may be glorified in the Son. But then when Jesus raised from the dead, it turns in Philippians 2. It says that every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we see within the triunity of God, communication, fellowship, unity, humility, a desire within the very the Lord our God's one Lord, but yet within the triunity of God, we see a desire to, to um, lift up the person in greater authority than them. And in John 1, Jesus says, for the Father is greater than I. If you look at that Greek word, it simply is an authority, not in substance. And then uh, John sixteen twelve, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. So we see that the grace, mercy, and peace come from the one God who's in triunity. God the Father, How do we know the Father? Through the Son. How do we know the Son? Through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. In John 16, it says, the Spirit is in the world, convicting men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. And the Holy Spirit's in us. The Holy Spirit's job is to empower us, 
to strengthen us, to bring us to Jesus. And let's pray that he does that right now. Lord, we thank you for, again, your word here tonight. And we just do ask that everyone would leave here tonight if they don't know it, to know your peace, to know your shalom, that their life would be whole and filled and healed and strengthened and empowered and they wouldn't have to limp along even though there's many wounds, even though there's much suffering. There's much, been much wrong to them done in their lifetime that they would be able to walk in fullness and integrity. Strengthen them now, Lord. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as Lord, this is your opportunity. He's rich to all who call upon his name. Just call upon him, dear God. Through your son, Jesus Christ, forgive me for my sin. I ask now that through your death on the cross and your resurrection, you've conquered my sin and death. Come and be the Lord of my life. I give myself to you. If you're a backslidden Christian here tonight, this is the message you're saying I needed to hear of the mercy and the grace of God. Then this is it right now. Receive it. God's Spirit brought you here tonight to speak to you of His Son, to speak to you of the work of Jesus Christ. God's Spirit is taking from the Father and the Son and declaring it to you tonight. Receive it. I receive you, Lord, once again. And as I have walked away from you, as sin has hardened my heart and kept me from being the person I need to be, and it, it's so true, I've been reaping the the horrors of my sin. Forgive me, God. Cleanse me, Lord. Heal me. From this point forward, I want to live in righteousness and holiness before you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. If you need prayer, come forward or ask somebody around you to pray with you. God bless you and continue to pray this uh, Christmas time.